But some of us here today, when we talk about the gospel, when we, when we talk about the empty tomb, it's just kind of like we don't get very excited about it. I really honestly don't know anybody that gets super excited about peeps. I mean, maybe a little bit. I don't know anybody that's got like a peep tattooed on their arm, you know, and they're like, they're, they're starting a peep Facebook page. Don't go do that, please, at this point. My office has already been peeped this year, okay? okay? So, <laughs> right. But nobody really gets that excited about peeps. But as, as, as people of Jesus, right, this ought to be something we're super, super pumped about. Because on this resurrection, everything is, is based. And that power, it crosses eternity. Uh, the same resurrection power that applies to us today, it, it applies to the people before Christ. It applies to people that may come in the future. And I, I thank God today. And today, and every Sunday, Jesus proves who he claimed to be to the crowds at that time. He told them who he was. I am Jesus. I am the Son of God. A lot of them didn't believe it. But a lot, of, a lot of them will believe it when he proves himself. Some of them believed at that time. I would have liked to think that I was one of those people, or I would have been. But we know that the majority of the crowd, they would turn on Christ, amen? And even though he would say, I am Jesus, I am the Son of God, I am Savior, a lot of them, most of them, in fact, said, no, we don't know. We'd rather see you killed and see some common thief, some common murderer set free. That was the mentality of the crowd. So the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ was for you and I, for his glory. And we, we glory in that today. Man, I'm just thankful for that because apart from it, I don't have any hope. <laughs> I could preach every sermon for the next 50 years and I still wouldn't get to heaven on that alone. But thanks be to God, his resurrected son helps me out. In Matthew 27, when we're looking here at this, this continued story and and. I appreciate my brother reading the, the, the Easter, the resurrection part of this. I want us to, to, think, to think about the death and, and how that's significant. And we did that on Monday, Thursday, and on Friday, during Good Friday. But the death, the burial, and the resurrection, all of it had to happen. Scripture teaches us that there's only one way that sin can be forgiven. And how is that? It's through the shedding of blood. And the only blood that was worthy that was perfect, was Jesus' blood. I, years ago, I had somebody come up to me, and I was singing uh, this song. I, I got to sing it this morning in the first service, but uh, Nothing But the Blood. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. And I got up there, and at Purim, we had a little bluegrass kind of group, you know? So we had, we had a guy that played, you know, uh, banjo, and by, you know, played mandolin, all this kind of stuff. So we had kind of a bluegrass feel that Sunday, you know? And we get up there, man, I, we just rocked it out, you know? As much as hillbillies can rock it out, we did. And, and uh, we, we were singing that, you know, there's nothing but the blood. At the end of the service, there was a guy that was visiting, and he says, I don't understand why churches always talk about the blood of Jesus. It's so off-putting. He says, I, I wish churches just wouldn't do that. Because it, it's, it just, it's just gross to talk about blood. I'm like, okay. I just, I really didn't respond. I didn't know what to say. I'm like, well, it's what, it's what it took, Right. It's, I know it's gross. That's the point. So is your sin. He, he goes, I just wish, I wish churches wouldn't do that. He come back the next Sunday and I had a whole set list. We all had it all set up and I changed it and sung nothing but the blood again because I'm a punk that way, right? But the thing is, is that everything depends upon the shedding of Jesus's blood. It took that. 
It had to be that way. Without the shedding of blood, there is there's no forgiveness of sin. But in Matthew 27, let's read about the death. I want to kind of go through this quick because I have a, a few points I want to make on the actual resurrection. But I want to make this point because I think there's some good stuff to take away from this. Based on the fact that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Based on the fact that Jesus was telling these people, the Jews, he was like, you know what? I am Messiah. That's who I am. But in Matthew 27, 45, look there. It says, now from the sixth hour, there was a darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. Jesus cried out again, with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went over to the holy city, and they appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him Keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what had took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. And among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph and who was also a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and he wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and he laid it in his new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he had rolled away the stone to the entrance of the tomb and it went away and he went away. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting opposite the tomb and the guard of the tomb the very next day, that is the day after preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. And they said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, While he was still alive, after three days I will rise. And therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go and make it as secure as you can. So they went and they made the, the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now this, there's some interesting things that happens here. And honestly, Matthew is the only one that records some of this stuff. John, Luke, Mark, they just, they don't really focus on this. But when we're reading through the, the book of Matthew, and we're going through John right now, but when you're going through the book of Matthew, I want you to understand that Matthew, his focus in his gospel is on how Jesus fulfilled the old covenant. The whole reason he wrote that was everything in there. He's talking about how Jesus fulfilled the old covenant. And understand Matthew was kind of in with some of the big shots before he came to Christ. And, and so everything he wrote was from that perspective that, that I'm, I'm, I'm talking basically to these Jewish people who are looking for Messiah, but their thinking's wrong. Their, their sights are looking the wrong, the wrong way. And so he's trying to show them 
hey, this is the Jesus, this is the Messiah that the Old Testament is pointing to. And in this, he, he tells a part of the story that just really kind of throws me. It's really kind of strange. I mean, how many of y'all would like to see dead people rising from the dead, you know? I mean, it'd be cool, but I think at the same time, it'd be a little creepy too, right? You know, we're living in a post-walking dead society, right? So everybody got into that show a few years ago um, until they started showing too much Negan or whatever. So, you know, and I quit watching after that, but they had all these walking deads, you know, like stuff going on in our society. People were really into it. It's kind of creepy. This is not like the walking dead though. I mean, we can say that. We say, well, that's just kind of creepy. There's a dead person walking down the street. I was at their funeral last week. There's a lot of stuff he talks about here. Why does he mention this? Why, why is this even in this story? Because we're going to wrap up today's service with the good part, right? What most of us glory in. But we skip over this a lot of times. There's some stuff that happens at the death of Jesus. The first thing that we see that happens at the death of Jesus is that the veil, the curtain, there in the, the temple, it tore in half. And it tore not from the bottom up, it tore from the top down. I know you've probably all heard that before, but it's something to think about. That the death of Jesus wasn't just a death. The death of Jesus was, was more than that. You know, it's really, it's that we have to look at it in its entirety. That when Jesus died, it made it possible for us to have relationship with God. 100%. And it couldn't have happened any other way. And so that curtain that would separate people from the Holy of Holies, it's torn. You think there were some priests that were upset that day? They were upset, but true believers look at that and they say, praise be to God. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through a, a, a sacrifice of some type of animal. We don't have to go through circumcision. We don't have to go through any of that kind of stuff. We can just trust in Jesus because he's the way, the truth, and the life. That's what the curtain stood for. And we see that that's, in, that's important, that the death of Jesus, it actually made it possible for you and I to know God today. The second thing we see is that there was a very physical effect upon the world when Jesus died. We see it in his resurrection too, that when he rose, the earth shook, right? When he died, same thing. The scriptures teach us there that when he died, the earth shook and the rocks were split. That's, that's, an, that's an important thing to understand today, that the, the death of Jesus wasn't just like someone dying and then someone attached a story to it, you know? But there was actually something really significant that happened for you and I. And it was so powerful, it actually shook the world that he created. If you guys want to know like how much Jesus is in tune with creation today, when he died, the whole creation felt it. The world shook. And that's important because our, our Savior's death wasn't just a weak thing. Don't, don't look at it sterile. Don't look at it in a generic sense. Look at it and say, you know, this was a powerful event that it caused it uh, to be possible to be saved. And so that, that, that curtain is torn and the physical world was shaken. And then the last thing, Matthew kind of goes crazy here. And what does he talk about? He talks about how all the tombs were opened. That's creepy. All the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Coming out of the tombs. And after the resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When you read through that, I mean, it just sounds like, you know, some type of a new book or something like that. But this is the scriptures and Matthew wanted to make note of this. And the reason I believe this is important is again, because Matthew's wanting to show and he's wanting to connect Jesus to being that perfect sacrifice, that Messiah that was foretold to come, that he fulfilled the covenants. 
And that in that, if you read in the book of Hosea and other books in the Old Testament, it equates Messiah to being someone who raises people to life. Through the book of John, what is Jesus saying to people? If you believe in me, you will have life, right? This, this is a theme that we see throughout scripture that Jesus wasn't just coming to establish a new religion. And there's a lot of good, well, well-meaning Baptists who think that if you follow Jesus, it means we have a church and we're better than the Methodists or whoever, right? There's a lot of people that honestly kind of look at Christianity in that way. But the death of Jesus upon the cross, it is something that sets all people free if they will believe and follow. It's beautiful. And it's, it's more than our generic thoughts that, well, yeah, Jesus died upon the cross. Jesus died upon the cross so you can have hope. That's the reason he did it. And when you see these, these dead people up walking around, now what does that mean? Now we don't know a lot because honestly, Matthew just kind of just throws it out there. If you've watched The Chosen, I mean, Matthew's kind of this guy that's a little loopy anyways, right? And he, he's, a, he's an interesting character. And in the book of Matthew, he's very, he's very precise in his numbers and like telling of story. And he doesn't leave this out. So I'm going to trust him that this happens. For one, it made the canon of scripture. For two, he was very precise in his writings, always. When you read through the book of Matthew, he's very, he's very precise in, in what happens. So what we see is like a sequence of events that happens in Matthew. You see that Jesus dies, right? Then we see that the saints' tombs open. They didn't immediately come out, apparently. But the saints' tombs open because after Jesus dies, there's an earthquake. The tombs open. The, the, the rocks are split, it says. Jesus' tomb opens a little later. Jesus is raised. The saints are raised, and eyewitnesses happen. So there's this, there's this order of appearance because we know in Old Testament that these people didn't raise before Jesus. Jesus rose before them because he was the one that was victorious. Not the saints, you know? Were, were these people Moses or Abraham or whatever? I don't know. I kind of think they weren't because in my opinion, when I think of this, if they're going into the city and people are amazed that this dead person is alive, how many, how many you know, Jews in that time period would have known what Moses looked like? if Moses came out of a tomb somewhere? How many of them would know what Noah looked like or, you know, David or whoever? How would they know? They wouldn't know. But if, you know, if, if Lisa or, 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 or Ted or whoever that died two weeks ago came out of the tomb and said, Jesus raised me from the dead, that was significant to them. Now, that's my opinion. There's a lot of difference of opinions. I also believe that these people were physically raised again, kind of like Lazarus, kind of like uh, uh, the, the daughter, uh, the, the son, um, Naaman's son, is that right? I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm, I'm going off my head here. But all these, these ones that we have, you know, these pictures out of scripture of people that Jesus raised from the dead. I believe this was the same type of raising from the dead again. That these were people who were raised up physically. And I believe physically, I don't believe spiritually. Why? Spiritually, they wouldn't have needed a door to get out of. But we know that the, 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 the stones are rolled away, right, from these tombs, and these bodies come out. So we have these physical bodies of people that people knew walking out of the tomb, and they come out of that tomb, and they, they're testifying about Jesus. And why does it happen? Why does this happen? Could it have been Moses and Noah? Maybe. I don't know. But just looking at this, we see where that all of this happens, that these saints, these holy ones, they come out of the tombs, and they don't just come out of the tombs and say, well, I'm going down and, you know, I'm going to get something to eat or I'm going to go wash my feet or something like that. It says they come out and they go to the holy city and what do they do? They testify immediately. People who are affected by Jesus don't just sit on their haunches and be quiet. They testify. 
They share the gospel. They advance the gospel. Does that step on anybody's toes today? Steps on mine. Because you know what? We need to be getting out and being more active about proclaiming the gospel. McLeod doesn't need another cool, hip church in place. Even though we're the coolest, hippest church around. I get it. But it doesn't need another church like that. You know what this town needs? It needs people who are proclaiming Jesus so people can come to Christ. You and I were dead in our trespasses and sin, and Jesus raised us from the dead. And some of you, people around here know your old self. They know how you smelled back in the day, right? And if you come to them by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is just this picture of what God does to people. You going as the church to witness to the people in this community, that's where change happens. We don't, we don't have you know, changes. You get a new pastor, whoop-de-doo. You get a new program within the church, whoop-de-doo. But until the church says, you know what? We're going to give our hearts fully to the advancement of the gospel. That's where change happens. That's where change happens. And these people, as soon as they come out of their tombs, it says, and after Jesus was risen, they come out of the tombs, it says they go to the city and they testify. They testify. The insertion, the inclusion of this this peculiar scene between Jesus' death and his resurrection, it shows the power. Now check this out. That his death breaks open our tombs. How many people here today can say that because of Jesus, he broke open the tombs of your death, right? That's me today. I, without a doubt, like I, I have nothing to brag about. There's nothing that Daniel did. I mean, I was, I was, a, I was a pastor's kid, you know? They're often the worst. I was an angel always, never messed up. I was perfect, right? But I was a pastor's kid. I was raised up in church. I, I knew Jesus my whole life, it seemed like. But it was Christ who saved me from my own death. Because of my sin, that caused death, and he saved me. And because of that, you know, we see this very picture of these, these saints, these ones who have gone before. Whatever it exactly means, what we see is that it was Jesus that did it. Now, did he raise everyone who died that was a saint? Nope, he just picked which tells me Jesus is in control. Jesus can do what he wants, for one. And he, he allows some of these people, specific people, I believe people that in Jerusalem, they would have looked at him and said, oh, that's amazing. Because he raised them from the dead in order that they might testify about who he is. And here's the thing, church. The power of Jesus today is not just a generic thing that we just say, oh, he's risen, he's risen indeed. We show up today because because of that, you and I have life. And what, do we, what does that mean? We leave this place and we go tell others about Jesus today. Don't wait till a week before Falls Creek or, you know, a week before vacation Bible school. Don't wait till Tuesday before Wednesday night service. It is something that is imperative to all of us that we must proclaim the gospel. Why? Because there has been a powerful stone rolled away in our own lives and we have life today. Isn't that beautiful? That's, that's what... That's what this resurrection power is. And not just that, but it's also a foreshadowing of the resurrection that we will have. You guys realize that when Jesus comes back, that everyone who has passed away, what's going to happen to them that knew Christ? They're going to come out of the grave, right? I tell people, the place I want to be when Christ comes back is at a cemetery. Because it tells us that they're going to come up out of the ground first. Is it physical? Yeah, it is physical. I, I'm not like being spooky or something like that, but the scriptures literally teach us that those bodies will come out of the ground. People want to argue that. I know there's a lot of people say, well, it's not, it's just a spiritual thing. It's just a, you know, 
it's just an allegory or something. No, I believe that when Jesus comes back, that those saints who have gone before, and some of it, some of us will be maybe saints at that point. Who knows? You know, we'll be the ones in the ground. But it says that those people will not, you know, the people that are left here will not precede those who are already buried. There's a lot of questions we may have about that, but the point we get out of all this, and people want to argue theology all the time. Here's what I want to tell you. The important thing is, is that Jesus saves. These people who were raised by Jesus, they were raised by him for a specific reason, to go out and to testify. You and I today were saved, not just so we wouldn't have our rear ends in hell someday, but we were saved in order that we might bring glory to God by testifying about how good he is. And today, if there's anything we can do as a church, we leave this place and we let people know that Jesus is, he's real, that Jesus is love. And all of this, this, this resurrection of these people at that time, it connects victory over death by a loving God. And that's, that's some deep stuff, I know. Me and, uh, me and Joe, we had some discussions about what we think this 27 and 28 is about. And he mentioned to me, he's like, most preachers, they just kind of skip over that on Easter. And I'm like, yeah, because you could, you could spend a whole lot of time talking about these, you know, these dead people walking around. It's kind of strange. And we don't really have a lot of information on it, but here's what I can deduce. And I, you know, this is, this is, I think, is what really matters. The reason these people were raised up, they were raised up to bring glory to Jesus. That's why. You know, did they, did they later on die? I think so. But maybe they, you know, I don't know. Maybe they floated away after a while. You know, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm not sure exactly. We can't really know this. I think one day we will know this. But again, it's because that God wanted a testimony of what had just happened. Because honestly, most of the time we're just kind of dummies and we don't really understand what God's doing in front of us. And, you know, we just kind of need a clear picture shown to us. These people, they were just testifying as to who Jesus is. But look at Matthew 28 as you're reading through there. Look at verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and he came and he rolled back the stone and he sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. You guys remember who these guys were, right? Professional guards, professional soldiers, guys who had been trained to do this very kind of thing, to keep this kind of stuff from happening. When they see the glory of God and what God was wanting to do in that moment, they just felt like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Did the women fall like dead women? <laughs> we don't see that here. It's not that they weren't afraid, but I believe God had a message for them too. The guards, they needed to get out of the way for a minute because salvation will happen for them if they listen. But for this moment, they were like dead men. The women, though, had a job to do. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, or I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said unto them, Do not be afraid. Go. And tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, let's think about this story for a moment. 
There's a lot, to, lot going on today, but the resurrection is a pretty big deal. If you're a Christian and you don't believe in the resurrection or you don't get happy about the resurrection, there's something wrong. There's some dead bones in your body and Jesus wants to change that. But we're here today and we're thinking about this story that, you know, these soldiers, you think they remembered this occurrence happening? They did. They remember, you remember that time we were like guarding that tomb and all of us like saw an angel and then we passed out like little girlies and, and like cried and had our blankies and we were laying on the ground and then these women came and they weren't really crying too much. They were kind of afraid, but that angel said, don't worry, Jesus is still alive. He's, he's, he's risen. He's not, he's not dead like some would suppose. And those women leave that place, and where do they go? They're gonna, they don't know. They're just like, what's going on? But then they see Jesus. Where do they, they see Jesus, and they fall at his feet, and they want to worship him. I asked the group this morning, if you saw Jesus right now, would you fall down and worship his feet? You know? I think most of us would. I mean, maybe at, at the beginning, most of us would probably do this. Oh, wait, wait just a minute, Jesus, you know? You know? <laughs> I'm going to take a selfie with Jesus today, right? We live in that day and age. We're going to pull our phones out, and we're going to take a picture. But I think overall, most believers, if you saw Jesus, you're just going to worship him. It's overwhelming, right? I mean, it would be for me. If I saw Christ, I'd be like, oh my goodness. It would be overwhelming. And, and, and he, they fell down at his feet, but Jesus didn't say, you know, hey, keep washing my, you know, worshiping my feet here. This is awesome. He tells them, get up and do what? To go. Consistently through scripture, we see it time and time again. Jesus didn't come just to do some religious act upon the cross or upon this earth. Jesus came that people might be saved. And for those of us who know Jesus, he's calling us to go and to spread that good news. That's the truth of the matter, church. And when we say he is risen, he is risen indeed. We say it from our heart because that's, that's the crux of everything for us. If Jesus wasn't risen, then neither am I. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then I'm not risen from the dead. The effects of a risen Savior are pretty big. And, and I want you guys to think about this. A risen Savior means forgiveness of our past. Now, honestly, how many of you people in here today are glad that your past is forgiven? Right? There's some stuff I did in my life I'm, not, I'm just not proud of. Things I've said, right? Some of y'all need to repent from peeps today. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for eating that travesty. Please forgive us, Lord. But we've all done silly stuff in our lives, right? We've all walked from God. The Bible tells us that everyone has fallen short of God's glory. We've all done it. But a risen Savior doesn't just mean Jesus is risen. A risen Savior means <laughs> we're risen too. That we're not, we're, not, we're not liable for the past necessarily. We have new life because Jesus has washed us clean by his blood. 1 Corinthians 15 says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Thanks be to God because he's risen. We're not still in our sins. And I think there's a part of us, I read a book several years ago by an author. Uh, his name is Brennan Manning. And he wrote this, this, this letter basically to the churches. He said, there's a lot of people in the church that are living in this, this self-hate. All they do is think about the past. All they do is think about everything they did in the past. And so they wake up every morning and they feel guilty about stuff they did and said. He, he, he even mentions in there that, you know, there's no amount of, you know, 12 steps or whatever that's ever going to get that fear, that hurt, that pain that you have in your life. It's going to take you trusting Jesus that he's washed it away. And we need to quit living in self-hate and we need to live 
in the love that Jesus has showed us on the cross. A risen Savior means forgiveness of our past. The second thing I would say is that a risen Savior means a present Savior. How many of y'all need Jesus in your life right now? Right? Without a doubt. A risen Savior means he's here right now. He's not in a tomb somewhere. You can go to Russia and they've got their famous guy, you know, old Lennon. He's in a, in, in what do they call it, in viewing or whatever. You know, he's, his body's still laying there. You can go to certain countries and famous people or even, you know, godly people. You can go to their tomb. But if, if we were to go to the tomb of Jesus today, which they kind of think they knew where that tomb's at, it's empty. His bones are not in there. What does that mean? He's right here right now. A risen Savior means a present Savior. Matthew 28, Jesus tells them to go, to get out of here, go make disciples, and behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. I'm so thankful Jesus is with me. You know, there were several years ago, I was a missionary and uh, on the Navajo Reservation, and I went into this, I probably never told my mom this story, because she probably wouldn't let me go back, but I went to this, this neighborhood in Lukachukai. You remember that? It was a little town called Lukachukai. Um, the people there called it Lucky Charms. Excellent cereal, by the way. But Lucky Charms, Lukachukai, we went there, and uh, there were some like kids there that were really into the gangs and stuff, really kind of rough, rough and tumble type dudes, you know? And I, the Lord was just like, go over there and just, just see what happens, you know? Put your line in the water and just see what happens. And I go to this neighborhood over there, and, and I'm walking in between two houses, I'll never forget, and all of a sudden, <laughs> between these two houses, there's a, there's a group of boys here and a group of boys there. And they're coming at me. And they got their knives and they got clubs and they got all that kind of stuff. And, and they were kind of like, are you going to preach to us? What are you going to do? And honestly, like the old Daniel, I would have went to town just trying to protect myself, you know? But I didn't know what else to do in that moment. So all I knew to do was just to start preaching to them and talking about how, you know, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And, and these guys are just sitting there. They're laughing and they're laughing. So I just kind of keep preaching the gospel to them. And they're, they're coming at me a little bit, and they're kind of you know, making fun and maybe pushing me a little bit, that kind of stuff. And I just kept preaching to them and kept preaching to them. I didn't know what else to do. Because I was like, as, as, a, as a member of our church there, you know, a person who works on staff there, I don't want to be known as the guy that goes to neighborhoods and starts fights with gangs. It's not really what I wanted to be known for out there. So I just kept doing that. And then I, finally I just started praying out loud. And I closed my eyes because I was like, well, this could be, you know, I may just, I may get my bell rung today. I may get stabbed. There may be something like that that happens. And I just began to pray. And when I opened my eyes, this is no joke. Those guys were gone. And I was like, okay, that was weird. Kind of strange situation. I get in the van. I don't think I ever told my parents about it because I was like, well, it's, it's not, you know, who wants to brag about that, you know? I about got my butt kicked today, mom. It was awesome. But I preached the gospel, right? I did that, and I was like, well, that's all I knew to do. I didn't, I just, I didn't know. I didn't know. The next Wednesday night, we were having youth, and it was a bunch of these kids come in. They got the teardrops tattooed on their face, and they come, and they sat down in our youth room, and before it was over, there was like three of them that ended up being like regulars coming to church, giving their life to Jesus. That's the power of the gospel. I'm not saying somebody comes at you with a knife, just start preaching to them. I mean, you might need to, you know, put your hands up and protect yourself. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that there's power in the gospel that people who are willing to kill someone for the God, for, for their, their pride or whatever, they need to hear about Jesus. And the gospel will change their hearts. And a risen Savior means a present Savior. I don't know that I've ever felt Jesus more present than in that moment. Because I really wasn't too scared. 
At the beginning I was, but at the end I'm just like, you know what? If this is where Daniel gets martyred, then so be it. So be it. The last thing I would say is that a risen Savior means a hope for the future. How many of y'all want to hope for your future? We want to, we want hope. We don't want to say, go from this place and say, well, there's not much use in getting up tomorrow morning because it's just terrible. I challenge you, if you go home and you, and you turn on the news, count how many good things are reported as opposed to how many bad things are reported. It's all bad news, right? But here's the thing. The resurrection, the story of the gospel, it's literally good news. As, you're, as the church of God today, I want you to understand this. It's the body of Christ. When we go from this place, we, we have a good news to tell the world. We, we have something that they need to hear. Well, some people make fun of you. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, they're probably going to make fun of you anyways, right? But you go and you tell someone about Jesus, it's, it's a good thing. Because even in that moment, that can change their lives. That can change their lives. Second Corinthians chapter 4, we read, where, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Guys, if Christ is powerful enough to raise himself from the dead, to raise some, some dead saints from the dead, how much more powerful is he to raise us from our death? It's, it's powerful. The resurrection is not just a holiday. It's our, it's our crux. It's, it's what it's all about. Today, if you're a believer, live in that truth. Man, you ought to leave here just happy this morning. Evelina said, I, I, she says, you, you look kind of like you're pumped up today. I was like, I am a little bit. I'll be honest. You know, I'm kind of, I am kind of pumped up and I should be more tired because we celebrated three-year-old's birthday this week and had like 500 people in our house. And then yesterday we, you know, went to Walmart. Shawnee Walmart's terrible. We went there and just got, I was just wore out when I left that place, you know. I did have good pancakes yesterday. But I am excited because the resurrection of Jesus, to me, is real. It should be to all believers. And Evelina, I pray. I'm glad you noticed it. I noticed it in you too. Praise God. But I pray that people outside see that. You know, I pray I'm not overcome with humanity and that people just see that you know somebody who's just in a hurry i catch myself at dollar general you know all the time and i'm just i'm in a hurry i'm, I'm in and out i gotta get dog food i gotta get you know whatever i'm running in running out and there's people all around me i know that probably need to hear about jesus and i'm just like this you know there's one girl that works down here she's got something wrong with her leg and she, and I, i've been in there a couple times and she's always working and she's like she's like working hard and she can barely get around you know and i told her one day i was like can i pray for you She's like, yeah. So I, I told her, I said, well, I'll be praying for you, you know? But how many times do we miss little opportunities like that where people just need prayer? People just need the church to reach out and to love them and to show them that the gospel is real and that it is good news. He is risen, amen? He is risen indeed. Would you pray with me as our worship team comes forth? Um, after we pray and they sing a line or two, uh, we are going to take uh, uh, communion, Lord's Supper today. I want to invite you to be part of that. I'll, I'll step back up here and read, and we'll have a time of prayer, and then we'll do this, and then we're dismissed, we'll be dismissed right after that for the day. But our God is so good. 
Our God is so good and he's risen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, I pray today that if there be anyone here needs God, they're far from you. They need, they need your, your love in their life. I pray that today that you would call them. Lord, as only you can call. It's nothing that a pastor can do. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Lord, I pray that you would call people to repentance in this place today. But God, if there's, if there's believers in here today that just need a, they just need their fire relit and they just need to, to go from this place in a new way. Lord, you are risen for that very reason, that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. I pray that First Baptist Church, McLeod, will have life more abundantly, not because we're good enough, but because you are risen. You are risen indeed. Father, let your spirit work today in this place. We love you and praise you in your name. Amen.